are entering the Freedom Hut. The increasingly insane left-wing media doubles down on its baseless attack against the Covington High School students. We will bring you up to speed on where that feud stands. And also, Ocasio-Cortez says the world will end in 12 years and climate change is like fighting World War II. We're going to break this down and much more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to The Buck Sexton Show, everybody. It's increasingly obvious that the left doesn't really care what the truth is about the targets of their hatred so long as they are able to vent their fury at them and there is some connection to Trump and conservatism and the white male patriarchy in America and all these other things that the left just hates. One would think, although maybe not, but it would be understandable for anyone to assume in the aftermath of this Covington High School fake news extravaganza, right, where you had this short clip that showed a student looking into the eyes of a Native American man banging his drum. Everybody jumped to it as Oh my gosh, look at these racist white kid Trump supporters and and the history of oppression of the Native American peoples. And it was all all this narrative backstory got funneled into it and then was ignited, of course, as all issues are now, with just the the insane rage of the anti-Trump left. I mean, they hate this guy. They hate him so much they act like a combination of of frightened and and nasty children when it comes to trump you know that one second they're crying the next second they're bullying i mean they just can't get a grip but then the video came out and Many people, including a number of conservatives, including a number of conservative friends of mine, who I think, and I know this because I've spoken to some of them, feel like they've really learned a lesson here. Don't be part of the online lynch mob ever if you can, but certainly until you know the facts. And always keep things in perspective. What was all the anger about here in the first place? Nobody was I mean, certainly no indigenous person or or left wing uh, victim group, meaning this Native American or the black Israelites who were right there with him and really partaking in this protest alongside him. Uh, nobody was injured. Nobody was attacked. Nobody was threatened. Nobody uh, used our, no, no, none of the children that were there. They're children, by the way. When you're 14 or 15, you're a kid. They didn't use any racial slurs. They didn't even say anything hostile. How was this even a news story? Well, because people 
projected the media, the Washington Post, the New York Times, CNN, they projected onto this really inconsequential encounter all of their own neuroses and anger and feelings of intellectual insufficiency. I mean, just everything put onto these kids. And then the video came out and it showed that if we're going to talk about hostility and racism and threats, it was all directed at the kids. So the apologies started coming and there were people who I think were earnest in that. And and you can tell for yourself who they are and who they're not and, and, and who's just sort of saying it. But what is truly amazing is that there are efforts underway right now from major media outlets, most notably the Daily News, which is a a burning dung heap of journalism to begin with. I mean, the Daily News had to cut half its staff not long ago. It should have cut all of its staff because it is a terrible, garbage, non-journalistic organization. I mean, it's just tabloid trash, trash. Bad writers, bad editorial, bad news coverage. It's garbage. The Daily News, instead of saying, wow, now that we have additional context, now that we see what really happened in this, as I've said, inconsequential incident until the media blew it up into a national news story, nothing really happened. It was the optics and the construct around the optics that got people so energized and freaked out about this. But the Daily News decided to do a deep dive, effectively to do oppo research into the lives of 15-year-old kids. So what did that entail? Well, they went back and they looked at all the photos they could find and all the stories they could find and everything they could about Covington High School in Kentucky. Catholic school for boys who had just marched for life. By the way, God bless you and good for you, Covington High School. Thank you. It's reassuring to know there are 15-year-olds who are marching for life in this country, that they're not all a bunch of little automatons who believe everything that they've been told by the left-wing authority figures that are foisted upon them not just in public schools, unfortunately in Catholic schools too. We're going to have to take a priest to task here in a few minutes. That's coming up. Welcome back, team. Sorry, we, we had a little miscommunication there, so I wasn't quite done with my thought, but we went into break. Um, but that such is life in live radio. So where was I? Oppo research from the media. Okay, we've talked about what happened with Covington High School over the weekend, all of the different um, political biases involved, the way that people view things, the, the perspectives that they bring to this. And they saw what they wanted to see. The media saw what they wanted to see. And without a trace of humility, after the BuzzFeed debacle, I mean, one of the premier online left wing sites in the country, such as it is falls face first after claiming to have a story that likely would have, if true, uh, ended the Trump presidency. I mean, effectively, whether it actually meant he was pushed out of office or not, it would have been all over for 2020 if he had truly committed a federal felony. That That's a problem. Um, but he didn't. The special counsel says he didn't. This was just a big lie. 
No humility, no lesson learned from that situation whatsoever. So now the media has collectively received a, a chastening uh, from what happened with BuzzFeed. They jump on the look at these racist at these uh, you know, racist Catholic school kids staring at, an, at a Native American man disrespectfully. All they did was look at him. They didn't even say anything. They just looked at him. A look is now a thing. And people were threatening to hit the kids. A writer for Saturday Night Live offered, all I can say on air is a, a sexual favor uh, in response to anybody who would physically harm the kids. I mean, these people are psychopaths. They've really got a problem. Um, Kathy Griffith uh, said something. I'm trying to remember what it was. Something just horrifically stupid. Oh, oh, she she also found a photo of these kids from before. Speaking of the Oppo research, um, and she said that they were giving a Nazi salute at a basketball game. It's actually the hand symbol for a three pointer. Well known to anybody who I actually used to play basketball growing up, but well known to anybody who watches basketball or plays. It's a symbol for a three pointer. Okay, this is like somebody giving somebody else a thumbs up and someone's like, oh, my gosh, just like Stalin would have done. What? What what do you mean? It's a thumbs up. We all know what that means. We all know what the three point hand signal is. These are these are high school kids. They're at a basketball game. Of course, that's what they're doing. Unless you're a moron, you know, that's what they're doing. Oh, but then enter the Daily News. I'm not to be confused with the Daily Beast, another terrible left-wing rag that shouldn't exist for any real reason. Or, you know, it shouldn't exist, but for some reason it does. Uh, the Daily News comes out and finds f- uh, f- uh, photos of students at Covington High School in black paint. Their whole bodies in black paint. And they run students in black. The story is, you know, students used to wear blackface to heckle black basketball opposition player. That was the story they ran with. It is a complete and utter lie. It is a smear. What was happening, which is apparent from the photograph, is that the students were in a blackout game where everybody, as a show of solidarity, dresses in terms of clothing and, yes, body paint sometimes, in one color. There are all blue games, there are all red games, there are blackout games. This is just a school spirit cheer thing. Now, you can say, you could argue if you wanted to with me and say, Buck, it's bad form for high school kids to you know, have black paint all over their bodies, even though it's clear that they're in a sea of people wearing black clothing and that this is for everybody and that it's just about the unity of the color in the stands as a school spirit thing. They do this in college games, too. And you and, and with a 30-second internet search, you would see that that's what this was. For the Daily News to run that they were the students were heckling a black player in blackface, as they did, is racial incitement of the worst kind. It is horrifying. The Daily Beast and everyone who works there should be ashamed. I'm sorry, the Daily News. <laughs> well... Daily Beast 2. The Daily News should be ashamed of what they have done. And there are real consequences. There are now death threats against parents of these students. Real death threats. Law enforcement in, the, in, in northern Kentucky is worried about this. They're not saying, yeah, you know, just, 
you know, it'll probably blow over. They're, and they're saying that they're going to prosecute because it's a felony. It's a felony. I saw on Twitter, someone tweeted out, why can't a school shooting happen at the Covington High School? I mean, this is what people are writing. This is what people are saying. You have adults who are professional journalists who are advocating for these kids to get punched, these kids to get threatened, to get attacked. They've doxed them. They've put their information out there online. And let's remember, for what? They didn't even do anything. They were actually, if anything, the victims here. Let's also note that the basketball game where the students were in all black was from 2011, which means that not a single student in the basketball game uh, that they showed would have had anything. None of the students that were at this March for Life and aftermath and this whole thing with Phillips, this activist, there's no crossover. So it is not. So what they did was they said, let's just find a way to call these kids racist. And they did it. They're doing oppo research, media organizations doing oppo research against teenagers. And the Washington Post, the New York Times, they're saying, well, new evidence has come to light that complicates. No, it's not complicated. You guys lied. It's not complicated. Media is a bunch of liars, a bunch of cowards who will sacrifice the reputations and the futures of children in order to satisfy their political bloodlust for getting at Trump in any way they can and all those who support him and for putting their bizarre, interesting, where where crybaby social justice beliefs into action. Oh, the poor Native Americans. Okay. What does that have to do with these 15 year old kids? Nothing. Nothing. And now Covington High School has police that are stationed at the school. Now there are expectations of protesters showing up there. Uh, There are real security concerns for these kids. They are worried, and it's understandable why they are worried, um, because people are crazy. And there have been some very, um, very scary things said and written about these young men And this is now turned, this has gone from uh, a national scandal into a a national media shame. People should be shamed over this. And as I've said, people should be fired over this too. This is inexcusable conduct. How is it that you have celebrities who are calling these kids Nazis and saying they should be punched and they suffer no consequences? They're advocating violence against children. These are little kids. These aren't 18-year-olds. They're 14 and 15-year-olds. Under any legal definition, they're, they're children. And yet, there's still this clinging to the old narrative from many in the media. Well, it's a more complicated story now, but we still think something happened there. I would note they, there are some dead-enders on the Duke Lacrosse hoax. There are some dead-enders on the UVA hoax. Well, maybe the story all fell apart and it was lies and fabrication, but there's still something there. People will say that. They have said that. And when I say people, I mean those with platforms who have a greater responsibility to the truth. But this is an unfortunate but perhaps necessary reminder for all of us that the, the other side, that the left is unethical 
disgraceful, not to be trusted, and does not approach issues with honor and decency that conflict with their political goals. They just don't. No adult human being could be part of the rage mob against these kids, learn the full facts, and then continue to be a part of that rage mob and consider themselves to be uh, honorable and decent. Uh, it is th- um, among the most disgusting things I have seen. And, and honestly, it's the most disgusting the media has been since the Kavanaugh hearing. It's true. The last time I was this furious and just this completely beyond, beyond words grossed out by the conduct of the national media was the Kavanaugh hearing. And there are similarities here, too. Kavanaugh didn't do anything wrong. Kavanaugh, there was no evidence against him. In fact, all the evidence pointed in the opposite direction, that he didn't do anything. They still wanted to destroy him and anybody around him and anybody who would defend him. Look what's going on with Covington, Covington High School in Kentucky. Bunch of Catholic boys trying to have a trip to D.C., march for life, mind their own business, wear their MAGA hats. But, oh, they're white. They support Trump. They're Catholics who march for life. So they're real Catholics. Uh, You know, oh, media hates them. Absolutely hates them. And there's no other explanation that you could come up with for this preposterous, preposterous effort to try to now justify the sliming of these kids in the media after the fact by finding something else to get them on. These are not public figures. These are not people who asked for this. This is why I make the point to you. It's only a matter of time before the online rage mob comes for you. You could be walking to the grocery store and someone picks a fight with you And then all of a sudden, when you defend yourself, that person says, well, they used a racial slur. They used a, uh, you know, an anti, you know, anti-Muslim slur. They, you know, they're a sexist. They made a trans joke, whatever it is. And now you're on defense. And now you're a national totem for hate. It's a problem. It's a problem. The facts should matter, but they don't matter to this media. We've got more teams. Stay with me. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. Tell you that if you don't come back to the Lord God, Yahweh, by Shemamashiach, Yahweh Shai, that you will burn in the lake of fire with everybody in America. That's right. Because America is going down. Right. Either you want to believe it or you don't. Right. America never been great. That's right. When has America been great That's for right. our people? That's right. When has America ever been great for the North American Indians? Come and answer this question, Billy. When has America ever been great for the so-called black man? That's right. America ain't never been great. I'm just wondering, where are the efforts to... Not that I'm advocating for this, I'm just observing. Not a lot of nastiness, uh, not a lot of, of, of effort to... Um, docs or track down or, or, or even do any research, I mean, which would be completely legitimate for the media into the black Israelites who are yelling at these kids. We don't know their names. We don't know their names. We don't know what their backgrounds are or what their situation is. But they'll look at a photo of a, of a basketball game from eight years ago 
eight years ago when the kids who were at this most recent rally were six. They'll look at that photo to determine racism in Covington, right? This just shows you this is why we don't trust the media. This is why when the media whines and says, why does Trump call us fake news? And it's because you're bad. It's because you are not ethical. It's because you don't approach your work the way any normal, responsible, healthy adult would. You people have all been brainwashed by each other. You live in this echo chamber where, you know, you think this narrative that you're taught by your, you know, women's and gender studies professor at Brown is the way the world works. And it's not. And this is why conservatives don't end up buying into these stories early on. We, we don't end up getting swindled because we know. We're like, wait, this doesn't make any sense. These kids are going to pick a fight with these guys. This doesn't make any sense. And the more we find out about this guy, Phillips, speaking of the lack of oppo research interest, right? So they'll, they'll oppo research docs and smear the kids completely unfairly. Now they have threats against their parents. I mean, if somebody threatened my parents, I don't want to tell you what I would do to them if I found out who the person was, okay? But let's just say it would be bad. Uh, but they're threatening people's parents. They're having to post armed guards and police at the school have never had to do this before because of threats against the school. And meanwhile, this guy Phillips, the media is holding him up as, you know, some kind of a hero. Oh, a Native American combat veteran from Vietnam. Oh, wait a second. Turns out he wasn't a combat veteran. He did serve in the Marine Corps. We thank him for his service. But why do they think that he was a combat vet from Vietnam? And I won't get into this whole distinction. I always think it's interesting. You know, I was a civilian in war zones, but I always, I kind of say I didn't really, you know, I, I served my country. I certainly didn't serve in the military. Was I, I was in combat zones, but I was in a analyst and, and uh, a, a really intellectual role. I did carry lots of weapons. I did go in the red zone. I did move around with SF teams and did things that, you know, put me in harm's way. But, you know, I, I always kind of just, because people, oh, CIA are just eating donuts and sitting at a desk. Fine, I'll leave that there. But are we allowed to make this distinction? I, I think we are. There, there's a difference between serving and serving in a war zone. I, I think that's fair. I mean, it's just for the purposes of accuracy, right? I, I don't think, and I, I defer to anybody listening who actually served the military, you know, if, if you served you know, in the Air Force for 10 years, thank you for your service to this country. It's necessary. We appreciate that. But if you served in the Air Force for 10 years and you said you were kicking indoors in Fallujah and you never set foot in Iraq, I think people would have an issue with that. I, I, I think that's a little weird. And this guy falls into that category, but the media is not particularly interested in that story. Oh, uh, yeah, they just a little correction appended to the Washington Post story on him initially. Phillips, the Native American activist. And you also see he's a bad person. Um, he is not trying to tamp this down at all. He has no interest in trying to make sure that these kids are are protected and that, you know, and, and that temperatures go lower. In fact, one of the uh, one of the kids who is being interviewed, who's been interviewed by Savannah Guthrie, um, uh, she is uh, or rather he is saying that he would like to have a. Nick Sandman is his name. He was the one that was shown staring at at Phillips, the activist. He wants to have a sit down with, you know, he wants to kind of have a beer summit, although they can't drink. So it would have to be like an, a Martinelli's sparkling cider. Don't you guys all agree? That's the best. When you're a kid, whenever, when all the adults at Thanksgiving are having like beer or wine, 
you got your Martinelli's and you feel pretty good about that. I love that stuff. It's liquid candy. Um, but Phillips doesn't want to sit down with them. In fact, he's advocating for them to be expelled, even still. And he's still telling these self-serving narratives about how he didn't feel safe. Um, you know, and Savannah Guthrie asked this kid, do you feel from this experience you owe anyone an apology? Do you see your own fault in any way? Um, the answer to those questions are no and should be no. And Savannah Guthrie, of course, is trying to take that media line of, you know, I'm just asking questions. When did you stop beating your wife, 15-year-old kid? These people are disgusting. They're disgusting. You wouldn't want to tr- you wouldn't want to leave your kids in their care over the weekend. You wouldn't want to trust your family members to them. They are bad. They are self-righteous and yet deeply unethical and lacking in righteousness. It's a very toxic combination. And some of the biggest people in the mainstream media are in fact the absolute worst. They are the worst. Um, and and I do not think we should be shy about calling this out anymore. I don't care how big their platforms are, how rich they are, how important or powerful they are. A lot of people at the biggest newspapers in the country and the biggest news networks in the country are scummy. They're bad people, and they should be held to account. Got more coming up, team. Stay with me. We are aghast that he wants this giant 30-foot wall to be the symbol of America. I tell President Trump, I've told him to his face. We want the symbol of America to remain the Statue of Liberty, freedom, equality, not a divisive wall. And we will fight for that. Fight for that, we will. There have been negotiations, but there will be no successful negotiations until the government reopens. The reason we're in this dilemma is that the president has made demands and is simply insisting on a vanity project, a campaign promise or applause line, and no president should be allowed to take the nation hostage to achieve a personal triumph. Schumer and Blumenthal, Danang Dick, as Trump likes to call him, are just slimy liars. They are. They're just liars. Just gross, oleaginous fabricators. We should just say it. This idea that it's a vanity project for Trump to build a wall is completely contradicted by facts, by experts, by any real familiarity with what's going on at the border. The border is a border barrier is immensely helpful where it exists. And if This is about symbolism, as Chuck Schumer says. The Statue of Liberty. Well, you know, the Statue of Liberty is a statue. It's not a policy. It's not the government. Ah, these people, I swear. Just waiting for him to refer to the Emma Lazarus poem as though that we all have to live by the words of Emma Lazarus. Everyone's like, who? Most of you know, but most of the country doesn't. Uh, You know, this is... This is where you say to yourself, hold on a second. If if what Trump says, I'm sorry, if what Schumer says is true and the border barrier is this terrible sim, uh, symbol of our divisiveness and all the bad, bad stuff about America, right? This border wall is is so unwelcoming and it's racist. As Pelosi said, it's immoral. That was what she initially went with, that, that the border wall itself is immoral. Well, if that is true. Shouldn't we take down the barriers we already have in place? 
shouldn't then Nancy Pelosi have to face the uh, members of Border Patrol that she pretends to care about now that they're federal workers that are not getting paid because of the shutdown right now? The, the Democrats love to talk about how much they care about these federal workers, but do they care about their mission? I can tell you they don't care about Border Patrol's mission at all. And in fact, I think if Democrats could have their way, they would just disband Border Patrol. Just set up checkpoints that process people as they come in. Nobody gets turned away unless they're an imminent national security threat. And people come and go as they please. That's what the Democrats really want. They may not openly say it, but all of the policies they support are geared toward that. And making it impossible to have a border that we actually control. But if we shouldn't be forced to destroy the barriers we already have, I want to know why. Because Pelosi and Schumer think that the barrier at the any barrier at the border is itself de facto racist, dumb and wrong. In reality, the only thing that's dumb and wrong are Pelosi and Schumer. But they should have to explain why we don't tear that stuff down. I remember we had Max Boot on Rising and I asked him this question. And he looked at me like I was, he was just, he's like, oh, the border wall is racist. But Max Boot is a, really kind of a disturbed individual. Uh, he's, you know, the things, the Trump is racist. The border wall is idiotic and dumb and won't work. And I said, so should we tear down the, the 200 plus miles of fencing that we already have? I think it's actually even more than that. I can't remember off the top of my head. We have hundreds of miles of existing barrier. That's for sure. Should we tear down those hundreds of miles? It's so stupid why wouldn't we want to get rid of it? I mean, it's just a blight on our on our our border, right? There's no reason for it. Oh, it's not stupid. That's right. And if you talk to anybody in Border Patrol or Immigrations and Customs Enforcement for five minutes, they'll tell you it's not stupid. I've even asked former senior Obama appointees from Immigrations and Customs Enforcement who who were people that really worked in that area for a while, right? Not somebody who sort of comes and goes for a moment. And I've asked them and, and they won't even say. They won't even say that uh, the, the walls don't work because they know. They know the moment that you turn into one of these people that says that a border barrier is racist and ineffective. You say, first of all, it's a wall. A wall, a, a wall is an inanimate object. So, I mean, a wall can't be racist. The purpose of the wall is to prevent the violation of our laws. So really, any member of Congress who says that a barrier or the wall is racist is saying that the law that justifies that wall is racist, which means that Congress... That's right. The sitting Congress is racist because they're the ones that have the legal justification in place for the building of the wall. They could change that. They could say that anybody who wants to come to America is, a, you know, you set foot here, you're a citizen. We, we just the more the merrier. They could do that. Why not do that? By asking the left questions on immigration, you'll see how quickly they get flustered um, because they don't have any they don't have any answers or at least. They don't want to share the answers that come to mind because I do think that they have some understanding of the fact that their policies, their ideas are very radical. The American people are not with them on this stuff. And if the American people were, by and large, more aware of where Democrats stand on these issues, they wouldn't support the Democratic Party on immigration. And probably enough of them would realize how important an issue this is that they wouldn't support the Democratic Party, period. If we you know the, the more truth, you know, about the border and this this I'm, I've been seeing this trend for years. But the last year, it's more true than ever. The more somebody learns about immigration, immigration law and our southern border, 
the more they recognize that the Republicans are correct and the Democrats, or really Trump, I should even say the Republicans, Trump is correct and the Democrats are lying. And and they, I, I think they know that they're lying and, and they don't care. I think that they just are trying to get their way in the short term here. And it really just for them is all about, this is all just about 2020 and, and control of the government once again. They want to throw their, you know, fancy left-wing inauguration parties here in D.C. again, all the big entertainers. They want their people in positions of power all across the government agencies. And however they have to get there, whatever they have to do to get there is really a, it's not even a secondary consideration. It just doesn't really matter to them. They just don't care. Uh, they will oppose anything, no matter how important it is for the nation. I got to tell you, I, I, I do like this idea. I'm seeing that there's a, and it's it's a very Trumpian maneuver, this possibility that Donald Trump is going to give a State of the Union address that is not the typical in front of a joint houses of Congress, um, you know, a joint session of Congress, rather, pardon me, uh, you know, that, that the president might do this in some other capacity or I think that's a great idea. I think that the State of the Union with one side sitting, the other side standing up every five seconds, I think it's just... It's kind of, it's kind of, I should think it's kind of beneath our government, meaning that it's just, it's such obvious theater and the theatricality of it over, uh, overrides any policy importance. I wish that they would just go back to the old days where they would have a, a written State of the Union address. And I think if, if Trump would help us get to that, then that's probably a good thing. You know, I, I would prefer that to what we have now, where it just turns into this, uh, this, you know, what's like school spirit rally for either the Democrats or the Republicans, depending on who's in charge. So I think that's probably a good thing. And if you wanted to just do it in written format, just release it and it'd be a document we could all read. I'd say that's fine, too. You know, we get a lot of Trump unplugged. Uh, I, I, and I don't think that the State of the Union right now, it just gives Democrats more stuff to work with to try to tear down this president as they have the House of Representatives. And they're just going to go on this wild, uh, you know, white whale chase. And that is not a comment on Trump's weight uh, for destroying this presidency. And, you know, they, they are they're going to go all in on using the powers of the House of Representatives, the investigative uh, processes that are at their disposal to tear down Trump and all those people around him. And that's really going to be their main effort uh, going into 2020, I do think that, and we'll talk more about some of the candidates. We'll talk a bit about Biden today on the show. You know, where's Biden in all this? Well, I've got some thoughts for you on Biden, um, but I will say that the uh, the candidates who are uh, who are in, um, I think Democrats know deep down that there's a very real possibility that none of these candidates are going to be sufficient uh, on their on their own. None of them are going to be sufficient to take down Trump. They're going to have to they're going to have to push along whoever the uh, Democrat candidate is with uh, something substantive, something that really uh, wounds the Trump administration from the Mueller probe or from congressional investigations or something. Uh, they're going to have to stack the deck because these these people they are trotting out as I mean, this guy, uh, what's his name? Um, Castro. This is this is all of this so far. It's really just uh, Warren. These people are unserious, unserious options. We'll be right back. 
You know what's smart? Kicking off 2019 by planning out which roles your business needs to hire for. And you know what else is really smart? Starting the new year off the right way by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash buck to hire the right people. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter finds qualified candidates for you. Its powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes to identify people with the right skills, education, and experience, and actively invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S., and this rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over a 1,000 reviews. Right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. If you love this show, show your support to it and to ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash buck. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash buck because ZipRecruiter is simply the smartest way to hire. I think that the part of it that is generational is that millennials and people and, you know, Gen Z and all these folks that come after us are looking up and we're like... The world is going to end in 12 years if we don't address climate change. And your biggest issue is your your biggest issue is how are we going to pay for it? And like this is the war. This is our World War II. And I think for younger people, we're looking at this and we're like, how how are we saying let's take it easy when 3,000 Americans died last year? How are we saying let's take it easy when the nth person has just uh, died from from our cruel and unjust criminal justice system? How are we saying take it easy when the America that we're living in today is so dystopian with people sleeping in their cars so that they can work a second job without health care and we're told to settle down? I don't, it's a, it's a fundamental uh, separation between, mm. you know, the, that fierce urgency of now, the why we can't wait mm-hmm. that King mm-hmm. spoke of, mm-hmm. um, that at some point these chronic realities do reach a breaking point. Mm-hmm. And I think for our generation, it, it's reached that. What the heck is she talking about? Welcome back to the Buck Saxon Show, everybody. That that was uh, Ale- uh, Alexandria, uh, oh, o- Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, whatever. Uh, AOC, that's the easy way to say it now. AOC, which also refers to where a wine comes from. Fun fact. Uh, but AOC is saying some really crazy stuff here, like... The world is going to end in 12 years if we don't address climate change. And people clap for this. Now, before I I dive deeper into the analysis that this young woman offers up, and before we we go too far down this road, because I think some of you have even written to me, in fact, I know some of you have, saying, don't give AOC much attention don't you like oh my gosh like AOC is like doing her analysis and she kind of sounds like this sometimes you you don't like this because you think that it's some of you think that this is uh elevating her profile even more well let me tell you (laughs) that uh the latest polling national polling shows that if democrats could vote for her Just shy of 75% of Democrats polled said they would want Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez to run for president. 
Now, she can't. She's constitutionally prohibited because of her age. But, oh, my gosh. They want this person to be president? I wouldn't leave this person in charge of my summer hot dog stand. They want her to be president? These are the people that lecture us about how Trump is not intellectual enough and isn't thoughtful enough. This is who they want? Now, again, I know they can't vote for her and she can't run, but the fact that the Democrats... I'm not saying 5 or 15% want her to run. 75% say that they want her to run for president, if she could. And she says things like the world is going to end in 12 years. How do you have a productive discussion with people who think that this is intelligent policy? How do you have a productive uh, you know, way of meeting in the middle with someone who believes that climate change is our World War II. 60 million people died in World War II. Tens of millions viciously murdered, exterminated. Tens of millions more died on the battlefield. And then millions and millions of civilians just killed by bombs and, and warfare as collateral damage. You're going to compare climate change to this? You think that that's a a reasonable thing to say. And this is why, you know, in the minds of the progressive left, giving speeches in Los Angeles, San Francisco, and New York, where you talk about tackling climate change, is basically like the equivalent of being on a Higgins boat and like storming Omaha Beach. Although the people who talk that way wouldn't know what a Higgins boat is and also wouldn't know what Omaha Beach was. But you get what I'm saying. They really think that they're the saviors of the planet and this climate change philosophy that is so uh, incredibly important to them. I mean, it it is their religion. I I often hear people say that climate change is a religion, but really climate change for the left is the religion. It is their religion. This is their existential belief system made real, which is why you just can't have a reasonable discussion with them about this. I mean, I've tried to talk to some liberals and say, you know, what is it that you think makes me not you? Because because I listen to. Well, I I am a talk radio host. so It's not that I just listen to so much talk radio uh, because I'm I'm conservative. I'm right wing. I've been propagandized to. I don't want the world to end either. I, I, I don't want our waters to turn to toxic waste and our air to be uh, blackened with soot either. But that's a question of pollution and conservation. That's not a question of climate change. These are very different things, right? These are very uh, different circumstances to discuss. And yet, you know, here's a, here's a perfect example Oh, by the way, uh, Al Gore in 2006, producer Mike just sent me this one. Producer Mike is kind of like my pop-up video from VH1. As I'm doing the show, <laughs> he doesn't want to interrupt my flow. That's right, Mike. You, you make the magic happen with a little, boop, you know, a little pops up. Yeah, you say these things, and it's just like, this things pop in my head, and I was like, wait a minute. I'm like, this is reminding me of Al Gore in 2006. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, dude. We're already past the point of no return already. That's, that's the important point. But now, now they're going to give themselves a mulligan, and it's actually 12 years out. Al Gore in 2006, producer Mike wrote here, said that, quote, unless we take drastic measures regarding greenhouse gases, the world will reach a point of no return in 10 years. Well, we're past that point by two years. 
and we did not take those drastic measures. So, so what am I supposed to do? So is Al Gore a liar or a moron? Just one little add-on to that. He, at the time when he said that, he was promoting the documentary An Inconvenient Truth. So, hey. Yeah, well, of course. Of course. I mean, he's a charlatan. He's, he's a fraudster. But nonetheless, here we are. You know, I, I had a very interesting and we're also we're just talking about the, the Ocasio-Cortez Green New Deal climate change insanity. We're going to talk more about the the Marxist, the rise of social justice based Marxism within the Democrat Party. Now, we, this is real, folks. We, we are we are heading headlong into a uh, a future of the country deciding intellectual combat with socialism. We are doing that right now. That is underway we're in the opening stages of it's really a a renewed battle but this is a new phase a phase where the american experiment in constitutional limited government in this republic is going to come under assault from people who want to turn it into a, a a socialist democrat experiment in redistributing wealth and intersectional politics based on identity and grievance culture. So that we're heading into that. But but just another moment here on on Ocasio-Cortez and and the whole green movement. I had a guy today on Rising. I don't even know if I think they aired this today from the Environmental Defense Fund. And he's he's a lawyer at the Environmental Defense Fund. So, you know, these are environmentalist lawyers that basically all they do is sue industry to get them to do more expensive stuff. So uh, and I'm not opposed to all, you know, I I don't I don't think the company should be able to dump their toxic waste in the rivers. But you see, what's interesting to me is that when somebody tells me there's a regulation about toxic waste in a river, right, just to take an example or just just dumping their trash in a river system, I say, no, that's a bad idea. That, that that's I'm not I'm not OK with that. And I think that that should be, you know, that that is a place where regulation is necessary. Right. I don't want companies taking their industrial waste and leaving it in a backyard somewhere where it seeps into the groundwater and poisons people's kids. Right. But but you see, notice I'm not opposed to environmental regulation. I, I know I'm because I'm a right wing radio host supposedly bought off by the fossil fuel industry and, and have bought into the right-wing propaganda of climate denialism. But I'm, com- I'm completely, I'm, I'm in favor of conservation. I'm in favor of anti-pollution measures because of, of course I want people to have access to, you know, healthy drinking water. Of course, I, hey, you know, what happened in Flint is terrible, terrible. By the way, I have actually done research into the New Orleans water system and the housing projects of New Orleans. And very bad stuff going on there with lead poisoning, too, that nobody's paid any attention to. Uh, very little media coverage of it. But if you look into it, it's been really bad. But that's that's real stuff. Those are obvious scientific facts about the human consequences of slowly poisoning people. When they're talking about the Environmental Defense Fund suing the Trump administration, they're talking about less CO2 in the air about regulating CO2, which which literally is regulating air because plants emit CO2 through photosynthesis, or rather, I'm sorry, take in fo- uh, CO2 through photosynthesis and emit oxygen, and they need the CO2 to be able to do that. So CO2 is a necessary part of our, uh, of our ecosystem. 
our global ecosystem, but it's a pollutant? They want to regulate methane. Well, methane from cow's butts, that's right, cow farts, is a huge uh, greenhouse gas problem. But what are we going to do? Tell the cows they can't fart? I mean, you know, they, they don't actually think through these policies. But I asked this guy from the Environmental Defense Fund, uh, I asked them, what is it that you think the Trump administration, they're just so in the pocket of industry that they don't care about the world ending? I mean, that's that's how much you care about the world ending and we don't. What's more likely that you guys have bought into a theory that is inaccurate and we really just don't believe it or that we don't care on our side that the world is going to end. The environmental defense fund guy, he can't even tell me why the right doesn't agree on this CO2 stuff. They really just result, uh, they, they really just resort to this, oh, you're bought off by fossil fuels. It's nuts. Absolutely nuts. But this is the stuff that they tell themselves. They are serious about this. And Ocasio-Cortez is serious about bringing Marxism soon to a, uh, a district near you. So don't think that that's not, that's not going to be happening. I'll talk a little more about how, I mean, look, she's the, she's the most, uh, she is the most influential in the national conversation and the most influential Democrat in the country, a know-nothing millennial who has a very flimsy grasp of history and facts and information, but she is the most influential Democrat in the country right now. I'm telling you, it's true. More on her when we come back. Do you think it is moral for individuals to, for instance, do we live in a moral world that allows for billionaires? Is that a moral outcome in and no, of itself? Mm-hmm. It's not. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not. And the system that allows billionaires to exist mm. when there are parts of Alabama where, where people are still getting ringworm because they don't have access to public health mm-hmm. is wrong. Mm-hmm. It not only doesn't make economic sense, but it doesn't make moral sense. She does not really uh, understand anything about economics. Uh, She does not understand anything about how capitalism works. And she is somebody who uh, just says things that she has picked up from the Salon.com, Nation.com, left-wing Marxist social justice warrior apparatus. She does not have any real understanding of these issues at all. The the emergence of billionaires in the world has also coincided with the pulling up from poverty globally of more people in the last, call it 80 years, than in all of preceding human history combined. There has been, because of a system that privileges individual uh, ingenuity and hard work and ability, capitalism, and, and the ability to enjoy the fruits thereof, we have had an explosion of wealth over the last century or so that is unprecedented in human history. That's the only reason we even have billionaires now. And to say that it is, it is a moral question that, that one person who has legally acquired billions of dollars is that that they are that there's something inherently immoral about that undermines the very system of economics that has done more for people all over the world than 
anything else in all of human history before it. There's just no question. I mean, you look at the numbers, nothing else even comes close. But she is kicking at the load-bearing walls of not just Western civilization, but modern civilization here. I mean, she's somebody who clearly has been radicalized by the college professor uh, Obama wing of the Democrat Party. And also, by the way, she said people are still getting ringworm. Ringworm is like a is like a skin rash that people can get. It's a fungal infection. So I don't know what. It's just a weird. Any I think anyone can get it. It's not some. You know, if you want to talk, there are diseases that we could talk about that people get in some parts of the country that are really uh, disconcerting. Measles being one of them that have to do with vaccinations and lack thereof. Um, and also the southern border and how it's open and people are coming across with. No medical history established, no vaccinations. We don't know anything. And then we got to put them into the school system, right? We got to put them into the, you know, into into communities without being able to check for what's going on. Um, but Ocasio-Cortez is just appealing to envy here. And that's what I want you all to be very aware of and on guard for, is that the Ocasio-Cortezes of the world ultimately are in the game of exacerbating envy for political gain because envy is very powerful. Uh, There's a reason why, you know, do not covet thy neighbor's wife. It's really do not covet thy neighbor's wife or stuff or anything, you know. Don't just desire what other people have because there's another part of this philosophically, which is everyone's got it tougher than you think. And I've seen this time and time again in my life. You think somebody has it completely worked out and they're just so lucky and everything's perfect. And then... You find out the truth. You go, wow, that person's been carrying a heavy burden for a long time. You just don't know. You know be kind because everyone carries a heavy burden. It's a very important uh, a very important principle for all of us to live by. But envy as a political tool is dangerous because it can lead to dehumanizing attitudes toward the other. It can lead to a lack of connection to the political policies that at first in the in the in the general sense right theoretically seem like they're justified but you know there's a human cost well you can ignore the human cost if it's those other bad people that you need to take their stuff they owe you stuff you know envy is the root uh is the root emotional impulse that is behind the kind of uh anti-colonial rhetoric you hear out of the academy and from the left the Marxist social justice rhetoric from the left, a lot of the intersectional racial grievance stuff that comes out of the left. It, uh, envy is a major component, a major emotion that the left exploits. And Ocasio-Cortez is going to be in that business in a big way. And as I've been saying, whether you like her or not, whether you think she's important or not, she has a major impact right now on the national conversation about politics. Pretty big Supreme Court decision came down today on transgender service in in the military. Now, this is really just a a decision on a previously implemented stay. I know some are like, oh, gosh, all this legalese. But I'm good at pretending to be a lawyer on radio. Uh, What happened was that a number of, well, as, as by way of review, the Trump administration Uh, had changed the regulations on transgender service in the military. uh, Trump said on Twitter in July of 2017, the military would not permit trans personnel 
to be a part of the to be serving in the military. And then uh, Defense Secretary Mattis, former or soon to be former Defense Secretary. Oh, is he out? I forget. He's obviously resigned. Um, he convened these experts and they said, OK, well, now the, the actual policy is going to be you can serve. You just have to serve with your biological gender. So if you are a transgender female, you and that means you're biologically male, you have to serve in a male unit. Uh, that was the way that they they settled on uh, on going forward. And the uh, various courts, Washington, D.C., California, federal judges said, uh, uh-uh, that's discriminatory. You can't do that. Which is interesting, isn't it? Because now you have federal judges effectively saying that the, that one, the military doesn't get to determine what is best for military uh, readiness and military policy is now being infringed on by federal judges. Uh, and two, are now federal judges taking the position that a biological male is actually a biological female? Because I'd like them to try to defend that in court. I'd like them to explain how that is supposed to work. Look, this is where the left has just gone too far. They're wrong. They're scientifically wrong. They are wrong from a perspective of reason and logic. Men and women are different. We are biologically distinct. And there are, from a battlefield perspective, many, many differences that matter okay uh this has been shown in every time that a an all-female unit or even a mixed male female unit is uh measured in terms of combat readiness against a male combat unit and i'll say the same thing that a lot of the guys i know who are door kickers and who served and who know this stuff firsthand say which is if you are a woman and you can absolutely keep up with the men in terms of endurance and and uh, physicality, strength, speed, all of those things, shooting, uh, great, serve along right with them. The moment that somebody is, whether a judge or somebody else, is mandating that the standards have to be changed, we've got a problem. And the moment that a judge comes along and says that for purposes of military cohesion and the separation of sexes, especially uh, on on base or abroad on a, on a battlefield situation. The separation of sexes is now going to be overruled by what is essentially a, a kind of cultural fad, which is the notion that transgender rights are the new civil rights crusade. That's what the left is saying. I think this is insanity, but they, they do say this. Uh, the Supreme Court by 5-4 just said, sorry, federal judges who overruled the Department of Defense. Remember, this isn't just the Trump administration or Trump himself, the federal judges who overruled the Department of Defense's views on this, uh, that overruling of DOD by these federal judges must uh, be overturned. So the overrule is effectively overruled so that the judge uh, judges in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, the most liberal one in the country, of course, can look at this issue more fully, and then it can be appealed up to the Supreme Court. But because this 5-4 decision already favored the DOD policy, essentially deferring to the DOD when it comes to military readiness readiness and capability and unit cohesion, uh, these are things that judges do not know about. These are things that judges do not understand overwhelmingly. Um, because of all of that, um, it's very likely that you'd have a 5-4 decision here that it's not that transgender people can't serve. And I think that that's what really, you know, it's not a discriminatory policy. This, this is what the, the left really gets uh, gets deep down a, a 
road of dishonesty on this stuff. It's the, the, the problem that they have, the real problem here, the issue is that they want people who are biologically male to be able to serve with a female unit and people who are biologically female to be able to serve with a male unit based upon their transitioning status. And you know this is this is a problem for a whole bunch of reasons. You know this is why you know you you have the separation of sexes in the military. This is why frat, you know you have fraternization is an issue. And look, I never served, so I just know about this stuff from reading about it. But I've been on a lot of military bases and spent a lot of time around the military in combat zones. And you know there, there are reasons for these policies, and it's not to be mean to trans people. It's not to be uh, bigoted or nasty or or make anyone feel less than it's we need to have the best military fighting force on the planet. We do, but we want to keep it that way. And we also can't allow the tinkering of social justice warriors and various uh, liberal judges to decide how the Department of Defense should be conducting its business. Uh, without a clear, you know, look, people would say, oh, Buck, but what about if there was you know, racial discrimination there's no discrimination here, okay? People who are female serve with females. People who are male serve with males. If you've got some other psychological need or issue, that's something to be dealt with, but it's not the military's problem, okay? This, this is where we have to draw lines, okay? The left won't draw these lines because they like to uh, live in this delusional state where male and female are not really different things. They are. White America has to admit there's still a systematic racism. And it goes almost unnoticed by so many of us. When all that is surrounding us, is it any wonder that there is still that spirit of restlessness out there? How do we ensure that every American can live a life of dignity? How do we fulfill the promise that working people who still go to bed like my dad used to staring at the ceiling thinking, God, if I get prostate cancer or if my wife gets breast cancer, we lose everything. We lose single biggest reason for bankruptcy. We lose everything. How can we stand by guaranteeing that every single American can get affordable health care and medications because your health shouldn't depend on the color of your skin or your zip code? But it does. Wow. Okay. Joe Biden. Uh, we're going to have to have some some straight talk here on Joe Biden, folks. He is not yet one of the candidates for the presidency on the Democrat side in 2020. He has not officially announced. People are saying, you know, they wonder why. And I'm going to tell you why Joe Biden hasn't announced yet. Maybe he still will. There's a lot of pressure on people still say that he is uh, a favorite. You know, he is the one that in the polls who can actually can actually run, unlike Ocasio-Cortez, who is, in fact, constitutionally barred from running because of her age. Because, like, yeah, like, I'm not, like, old enough to, like, run. Uh, but Biden is someone who benefited tremendously from being a visible but inconsequential component of the Obama administration. Biden, when he ran for president, people will forget this, is a guy who was polling at like one or two percent the whole time. OK, before that, 
he has been a largely inconsequential, at best, senator from Delaware, who's actually very cozy with some of the uh, corporate interests in Delaware, as much as he'll speak sometimes like a social justice warrior, as he just was. Um, Biden's a guy who does whatever's best for Biden. I mean, he is the quintessential career politician. Okay, this guy is as inside the beltway and as much about the career of Joe Biden as any human being could be in the swamp. And yet, because he was the vice president for the Obama administration, because he you know, has involved himself in foreign policy matters for a long time, has terrible foreign policy judgment, by the way. And look at when he when, when Biden takes a position on something, it's overwhelmingly in retrospect and at the time the wrong position. But he's a guy who's essentially failed upward in a lot of ways, uh, has never been an impressive, uh, an impressive, honestly, anything. And yet we're being told that he should be the next president of the United States. Uh, and I think that that I think that was from MLK Day when he was giving that speech on on white America there. This is not what white America needs to hear or wants to hear right now in parts of the country where they're struggling. And, and that's part of what was so powerful about Trump's message was he was saying, look, if you're if you're in Michigan, if you're in Pennsylvania, if you're in West Virginia, and you feel like your community has been flooded with drugs and there's nothing for you there. And the elites in D.C. who are who are influencing markets, it's not just the free market that does all this with policy, with regulation, with government action, don't care about you. You have a point. Now, we can argue whether that's true or not, but or how true it is, because there's at least some truth to it. But at least Trump was making an effort. Biden's version apparently is that, what quote, white America has to admit there is still systematic racism. Uh, end quote. Is it, I always wonder, is it systemic or systematic or both? Or those both seem to get thrown in there all the time. Um, n- no one in white America says there isn't racism. And nobody, I think, would even argue with the notion of systematic racism. It just depends on what your definition of systematic racism is, right? If you're going to tell me that the murder rate in the south side of Chicago is a function of systematic racism, I'm going to need an explanation as to why that is. I'm going to need someone to explain what this what the system is doing there, because there's a lot of, you know, people say, oh, it's poverty. Hmm, Interesting, because the poorest per capita country, I'm sorry, uh, county in the country is Harlan County, Kentucky, eastern Kentucky, which is overwhelmingly white. In terms of the ethnic makeup of that county, it's a very white, very rural part of the state. Poorest in the country. Not a lot of uh, gang violence going on there. A lot of opioid problem, but definitely not a lot of gang violence. Not a lot of violence in general. So why are we told that it's systematic racism? Or, or are we being told that? You know, what, what, where, where do we draw the lines on what is systematic racism and what is a a broader societal or, or cultural failure that manifests itself uh, with a greater preponderance in minority communities than in other communities across the country. You know, wh- wh- how do we draw those? Up? But just, you see, that's having a real discussion about it, trying to discuss the problem, trying to discuss the issues from the perspective of wanting to make it better. Joe Biden just wants to say things that make Joe Biden sound like he cares and he's smart and he's one of the good guys. 
whether it has any effect on anyone's life in a meaningful way, whether it does anything for anybody, that's pretty irrelevant. You know, he he does not particularly care what the result of the words that he uses uh, is. He really just cares of what the perception of him is as a result of the things that he says. And, you know, he's just kind of a grinning used car salesman politician. I'm sorry, but it's true. And I just think it's so funny that there's this this early effort out there for people to try and and come come out and say that, you know, Biden would be this great leader. There is no, no evidence, no evidence whatsoever that that is the case. None. Okay, no evidence that Joe Biden would be some great president or even some great presidential candidate. And I I just think that you know, the, the, the Democrats, they're going to they're going to create some narrative around someone. You know, they're, they're going to find a way to prop somebody up and, and convince the Democrats will all vote for a Democrat. So it's really just can they make some story up about how wonderful somebody is and convince enough people in swing states to vote for them. But I don't think it's going to be Biden. And, you know, if it's if it's uh, Kamala Harris. She's the default candidate at this point. She's the, we don't have anybody great, so we'll go with her. There's a little, I hate to be the one to say this, there's a little bit of Hillary Redux, you know, or, you know, Hillary part two here. It's it's Hillary all over again. You know, this, she's, the, the establishment is rallying around Harris. They're really, because they want it to be Biden, but it's just not going to fly. It's not going to work. And he's certainly not endearing himself. Uh, Biden's not endearing himself to rural communities by trying to pretend like he's got this this social justice streak in him where he really he really cares so deeply about you know uh, uh, minorities who are living in in poverty and and systematic racism and and also this comment that your health shouldn't depend on the color of your skin or your zip code Uh, what does that mean Uh, because that he makes it sound like hospitals you know that that to me is is a statement that's a little a little reckless he makes it sound like hospitals or doctors turn people away because they have the wrong skin color. You know, he, he, and Biden likes to play these games. Remember, you know, he said, quote, put you all back in chains. I mean, Biden likes to be, be an agitator on some of these issues of race to make up for the fact that he's basically the quintessential boring middle aged boomer white guy. That, that's what he is. But he tries to play up this you know, other part of himself. And uh, I just, you know, your health shouldn't depend on the color of your skin or your zip code. Sure, are our health outcomes uh, at least in some way correlated to someone's socioeconomic status? Yes. Is that fair or right? No, it, it, it is not. Um, but it's also a function of a very complicated system we have that involves payment for services and the choices that people make with the money that they have. I mean, I, I get... I have some, I guess, somewhat radical ideas about about some of these things because I want to just tell people, you know, we, we all approach health care like somebody else should be paying for it. Meanwhile, I, I mean, I would advocate for, you know, your health care is probably what you should be concerned about paying for ahead of anything, you know, other than your house and your food. You know, uh, I, I know people that will spend ten thousand dollars on a vacation without, you know, without uh, blinking their eyes. But then when you tell them they have to pay a $50 copay to go to the doctor, they're like, oh, my gosh, you know, you're going to need to pay for these things if you want the quality of service that we've all come to expect in this country. And, you know, the other side of it is I'll tell you, you know, anytime I've been in an ER, 
Um, they're uh, miserable, dysfunctional places that are deeply depressing, and you only want to be in one if you have absolutely no choice, and it's a desperate situation. And I, I wish that medicine could get better than that, you know. Uh, and that's if you, and I'm talking about as somebody who can pay. It doesn't even matter. Still terrible. So there's a lot going on here. But the bottom line is, I don't think it's going to be Biden. And if it is Biden, he's going to lose. Maybe you've heard of the AARP. You or somebody you know could already be a member, right? But did you know that the AARP is pretty left-wing? They lobby for progressive causes, and they actually fought tooth and nail for government-run health care. That's why I recommend AMAC. Why should you check out AMAC? Well, you see, AMAC advocates for border protection, advocates for seniors, for fixing Social Security, and you'll get all those great value and discount items like car insurance, hotels, roadside assistance from AMAC that you do from AARP, but you're also supporting an organization that agrees with you and that supports what you stand for. So stand with AMAC as they fight the good fight by becoming a member today. The benefits are great, but the cause is even greater. Tell your family and tell your friends. Join right now at amac.us slash buck. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S slash buck. One more time, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash buck. Just want to take a moment to... uh wish all the best uh, and send the thoughts and prayers to uh, Brett Bear, who he's okay and his family's okay. Uh, but I don't know how many of you saw this. Uh, he is, of course, the host of Special Report on Fox News, which is on it uh, during the six o'clock Eastern hour every night. I think it's the best panel and probably the the single best non uh, non opinion based news show on television. And, uh, you know, he, he's as nice a guy and and as uh, much of a of a gentleman and a professional as any Brett, as anybody that you'd come across in the business. He was on a family vacation with his wife and his two children. He's got a, you know, he's got a lovely family and, you know, he's a he's a real family man. And he was driving a car out in Montana and they just hit an icy patch of road. Things I know the, the weather out there has been really cold. The country's been hit with a real cold snap. And uh, Icy Patcher wrote, and the car just flipped right over. I mean, it just flipped over on its back. Uh, they all had to go to the hospital, but they're okay. You know, it's just, it's a reminder for all of us um, that, you know, you, you just don't know. I mean, for one thing, and I hate to be this now, I really do sound like I'm Team Buck's grandmother or something here, but the most dangerous thing you're going to do is drive for the most part. I mean, some of you listening I know are, are Green Berets downrange, but... Uh, for for the rest of us, okay, the most dangerous thing you're going to do for the most part statistically is driving a car. Um, but but also I, I think there's just a, a heightened sensitivity in conservative media and in D.C. right now. Brett's a D.C. guy. He does a show out of here uh, ever since uh, Bree Payton's passing a few weeks ago from just a a freak influenza, uh, inf- influenza infection. I mean, just out of nowhere. Uh, as uh, December 28th, which also happens to be my birthday. I'll never forget getting the news. So I guess just a moment to wish thoughts and prayers to Brett and his family. They're all okay. Nobody was severely injured. But obviously it's terrifying to be in your family, uh, be in the car with your family and flip the car. Um, and just to remind everybody, you know, be safe out there, be careful, and just remember, you know, you don't, you don't know. You know, you don't know what's going to happen. So keep your loved ones close. Um, 
That's sorry. I know that's a little a little out of maybe out of left field, but I was thinking I was thinking about it today, and um, I, I had I have a lot of friends who are still are, are rattled by what happened with Bree, and you know she does a lot of Fox, she did a lot of Fox News, um, and you know Brett obviously has had many of us on his show in in our little conservative media community down here in D.C. So it it was another one of those moments. Just gosh, you know, it's uh, another another uh, story that just reminds you. You don't know. All right. Let me get into uh, some some policy stuff here. Uh, China. Uh, Larry Kudlow is talking a bit about what's going on here with the China negotiations, because this does have a pretty major effect on our our overall economy. And um, it does affect what's going on in the global economy, for sure. And and the U.S. economy here, you know, Kudlow, Kudlow is a great messenger for the administration's position on this stuff. He's very effective. He's savvy, sharp, and comes across as very warm to reporters. Reporters tend to really like this guy. Um, but uh, the China situation is obviously a point of a lot of tension because people are saying the Trump administration has picked this fight. Uh, although I think it's only fair to point out that China's really been the one picking the fight, and they've been picking it for the last Oh, 30 years or so. Um, they're the ones that have been engaged in these predatory and, uh, and just deeply unfair uh, trade practices that are getting a ride off our back without our say so. But here's how Kudlow sets this up. Uh, play 16. We're making progress in negotiating on the grandest scale between the two countries ever. OK, we're covering everything. Technology, theft, IP, forced transfers, family jewels, cyber intervention, commodities, industrial supplies, financial services, ownership. Nothing like this has ever been undertaken. This is good. Negotiations are good. You know, he lays out all this stuff. He talks about intellectual property theft and and, and all these different aspects of the of the economic and trade relationship that we have with China. And as he brings them up, I I think it's worth noting that no one really had a, until Trump came along, no one had the political will to deal with these issues. Neither Republicans nor Democrats were taking any strong action to stop this from continuing. And I think it's, it's particularly noteworthy that you know, many of the folks, many of the voices that you're hearing now that are saying that what Trump is doing is so reckless are among those of the so-called expert class that had absolutely no solutions, nothing to bring to the table to fix anything with China. And now that they're not in power and their way is not the way that the administration's going, we have to be told, oh, it's so crazy. It's so dumb. I think I've been pretty consistent on this one all along. We're going to know whether this works or not. And Trump will be judged. And I think in 2020, even part of this will be, uh, you know, part of how he's judged re- relates directly to China. He'll be judged on whether this works. Does it work or not? And if the answer is yes, well, then we'll know that Trump was able to pull this off in the face of incredible bipartisan intellectual opposition and political opposition, but people just saying, oh, the experts all agree. There is a consensus on this one. It is crazy to do what he's doing. Well, turns out 
that we have some information coming in that shows that I, I don't think he's crazy. He's he, It's risky, but that's different than crazy. Uh, we do have, though, just earlier today, reporting for the Wall Street Journal, that China's annual economic growth rate is the slowest since 1990. Now, there are a lot of different parts of this, a lot of different ways to analyze it. You could say, or you could point to the fact that China, in order to avoid some long-term economic uh, risks, financial risks, has decided that you know government borrowing needs to be curbed. Uh, there's a, a drop in large capital expenditures on things like infrastructure projects and big new factories. And, you know, Ch- China has had to rein in some of this stuff because of its just ferocious growth rate the last 20 years or so. Uh, but it also shows us that the leverage to try to get a change in Chinese behavior right now is pretty good. We're in a pretty good position to do so. Now, is it having a little bit of a... Of, Pain for the U.S. U.S. economy for our markets. Yeah, I think so. But anytime you get into a fight, you know, if you get into a boxing match and you think that you're just be able to knock the other guy out without getting punched, you know, you're usually delusional. Uh, that's usually not a good thing to think when you go in. And if we are going to get a change in Chinese behavior, I don't think anybody should have expected it to happen uh, in a way that wouldn't have any, at least short term negative financial and economic implications for us. And I think we are seeing that right now. You know, the administration has said that they are willing to take some of these uh, measures off the table, right? That there's that we they may pull back. We, the U.S., may take some of these tariffs back in order to chill markets out as long as we feel like the Chinese are going to play ball. We'll see. Uh, we'll see. But, you know, in, in the meantime, I would just note that uh, the Trump administration is taking action on problems that exist, that everyone knows exist, and that previously nobody seemed to want to take any action on. You know, that, that, to, that to me is significant. And that's also why all along I felt like uh, we should give the administration some leeway and the the benefit of the doubt uh you know to find a way through this by the way i'm not yet finished with a book that i i find very interesting i find the thesis of it very interesting called the hundred year marathon by michael pillsbury uh, that takes a just a, a, a contrarian view of chinese national top-down policy and, and strategy. It's really about strategy and civilizational strategy for China. And the 100-year marathon, I'm, I'm, I'd say about a third through it right now. And it, it, the, the thesis, and I'm reading as it expands on this one, but the thesis from the 100-year marathon is that uh, China has been engaged in a massive campaign of global deception, and deception particularly aimed at the United States, to make us treat the Chinese like they're some developing, oh, gee, golly, gosh, you know, we don't know how we're going to become a superpower country when all along they've been hoping to leverage that and, and to use that to harness 
uh, the, the kind of American globalist, let's bring everybody up and free trade is going to make us all rich attitude. And, you know, if we need to help some of the third world catch up to us all the more, the better. And, you know, and, and China views all the stuff as very zero sum. Uh, and there's there's a whole conversation in the book around uh, or, or, or a, a lot of exposition around the idea of deception as central in strategy and how in Chinese culture, they're even some of their, their folk heroes, and they go back to the period of the warring states, which is also when you have Sun Tzu writing his, uh, you know, e- eternally famous, The Art of War. He had all these warring factions within the Chinese, well, the Chinese state, and, and there's all these lessons. It's essentially like the Chinese version of Machiavelli on steroids. Um, but either when you get a sense of what their philosophy is and also the aggression, the long-term aggression behind it to supplant America and really become a, a, a hegemon unlike any the world has ever seen, you get kind of a different view about, yeah, you know, China's just ripping off some of our intellectual property, you know, no big deal. Actually, it is a big deal. And these are issues that we should be paying uh, close attention to. And I, I think that the 100-Year Marathon, it's written by a, uh, a, a uh, an expert in China policy of many decades, really interesting stuff. So when I finish that, we'll have a longer discussion. Maybe I'll bring on one of my favorite East Asia experts. Um, but keep that in mind, the 100-Year Marathon. I think you'll find it interesting. Uh, we got more coming up, team. Stay with me. I want to tell you about a conservative alternative to liberal-based email services, iPatriots.us. iPatriots.us is secure, private, and includes more of what you want without all the ads and spam. With iPatriots, you get 30 gigs of cloud storage, larger attachment sizes, and your files are safe with iPatriots premium antivirus, anti-spam, 256-bit encryption. And unlike a lot of those other big email providers out there, iPatriots won't sell your stuff to third parties, won't sell your information, or support liberal agenda items like a lot of those Silicon Valley-based giants, okay? iPatriots is compatible with most mobile devices, so show you are a patriot. Go to iPatriots.us now, choose your membership program, and input your desired iPatriots email address during checkout. Enter promo code BUCK for 10% savings, during your first year of membership, again, promo code B-U-C-K at iPatriots.us for 10% savings during your first year. Soon, there will only be the conqueror and the conquerors. Step into the spotlight. You are a good man. Step into the spotlight. It's a good heart. And it's hard for a good man to be a king. Okay, so that is Black Panther. I'm sure you all knew as soon as it started. That's from Black Panther, the uh, the trailer for it. And why am I talking about Black Panther? Because I want a lot of you to boo at me when I tell you that I, I've been waiting for a superhero movie to be nominated for an Oscar, even though conservatives, we all make fun of the Oscars all the time, but it is this this cultural phenomenon that you know we, we tend to mock them, but we tend to also talk about them. Because I think it's a reflection of what the, uh, at a minimum, of what the Hollywood elites think about the culture right now and what matters and what doesn't and what kind of stories 
they want to tell. But Black Panther was nominated for an Oscar. And I feel like I'm the only person that I know who will just come out and say it's just not a good movie. And and there's some look, you know, there's some very cool scenes in it. And I think that the guys, you know, the guy who's the lead actor is very charismatic and does a great job. Um, but the storyline is just bad. It's just not a good storyline. It, it doesn't really hold together. You know, this whole thing about uh, what is it? Unob- what is it called, Brandon? Unobtainium? That sounds about right. What's the like? I only saw it once. Thing? You know, it's like. I, or is that from Avatar? I can't. I think no. I think Avatar is unobtainium. Whatever they have, like the secret, whatever the secret sauce, magic stuff is that they have, you know, and and they don't want other people to get. I uh, see. I haven't seen it that many times. Anyway, I don't know why everyone has to pretend they think it's such a good movie. I mean, they're freaking giant CGI rhinoceroses running people over in the final battle sequence. Brandon, do you agree with me on any of this, or do you like Black Panther? You probably like Black. No, I agree with you. It's an average. You do superhero movie. It was average. There. It's I, a totally average super. Brandon, thank you. It's a totally average superhero movie. Into the Spider Verse. Okay. That's a good one. The new uh, Spider-Man. People tell me that's amazing. Actually, my co-host, Crystal Ball, told me she thought it was incredible. And I'm like, really? Because she's not into uh, superhero stuff, but she said visually it's amazing. Yeah, it's it's huh. not it's more than you think. It's, it's really good. But no, I agree with you with Black Panther, for sure. And one of my family members told me that Green Book is actually a pretty good movie. So, you know, I, I'll definitely watch that when it's... I only watch things at home. I, I don't do this, as I've told you. I'm way too grumpy for movie theaters. Somebody's always talking. Somebody's and I have a giant head, but somebody's even more giant head is always in the way of my view of the screen. There's just always a problem, you know. And and I just I just learned my lesson too many times. I only watch things at home where I control the environment, and that's that. So I'll watch Green Book when it comes out. Um, a Star Is Born. I feel like you know this is you know just a Lady Gaga. Vehicle. Did you see that one, Brandon? I haven't, but I want to. I just don't want to pay for it, so I'm waiting yeah, for it to I come mean, out I on Netflix. It's, it's, it's pretty good. Um, so, you know, yeah, he's... I guess that one's decent. I'm trying to think what else get... Uh, this movie, Roma, is apparently the favorite for a lot of these things. I have I don't even know anything about it. I mean, there were movies nominated, like The Favorite, which I didn't even know was a movie until now. Uh, so I, I'm, not, I'm not up on this stuff at all. I just think that TV, as I've told you before is in this golden age where it's just way, way better than the, 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 the quality of top TV shows right now is blowing the quality of top movies out of the water. It's just not even comparable. I mean, there's so many good, I'm discovering TV series that are even a few years old. And I'm like, uh, this is, this is an a plus. I mean, I think Peaky Blinders is a phenomenal TV show. I hadn't ended, it ended up. Have you seen that one, Brandon? No, but I've heard good things for sure. Yeah, it's very... Dude, you'd like it, actually. It's got good music. The soundtrack's good, too. You dig it. So I, I, I would... I, if I may make a recommendation for you, DJ Brandon, I would say put Peaky Blinders on your list. It is really good. It's a little bleak in the beginning, but it gets... It's really solid. But, you know, Black Klansman... These are the best picture nominees. Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favorite, Roma, Green Book, A Star is Born, and Vice. Oh, my gosh. You know, there's such a bunch of clowns. They really are going to nominate... Uh, they're really going to nominate Vice for Best Picture? It's ridiculous. A movie just trashing Dick Cheney, you know, where it's, it's all Dick Cheney is this, is this supervillain. 
Yeah, it's 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 total nonsense. You know, I did not see a single good movie this. Did you see anything that was good this year? I did not see a in theaters good movie this year. You didn't. Usually, see... I'll go see one movie a year. I didn't see one this you year. You didn't see Bohemian Rhapsody? No. Is it good? Yeah, it's a fun. Uh, you know, if you like the music of Queen, you'll like it. And the uh, the lead guy Remy, oh, okay. what's his name? He does a great job. So it was good. When are they going to make the Guns and the, the the pivotal Guns and Roses movie, my man? What, uh, I mean, that's that's actually been asked for many years, but I'm looking forward to seeing the Motley Crue movie coming out on Netflix in a month or so. The Dirt. I'm looking forward to that, too. You should read the those book guys, first. Those guys partied hard. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, the Oscars, who cares? We care a little bit just to make fun of it. We'll be right back. All these models, like, in the Bahamas. The most insane festival the world has ever seen. Island getaway turned disaster. It became very barbaric. So, you know, that's the beginning of the introduction for uh, the documentary on Fire Festival. F-Y-R-E. And, and a lot, I had heard about this. It became kind of a big news story for a little bit because it touched on some Silicon Valley stuff. It It touched on some... Uh, you know, entrepreneurial kind of Madoff scheme like questions. And, you know, so so it really did get into the mainstream news for a while, but it was really big among the social media influencer set. Um, and and it, it's an amazing story. I mean, I, I'm just going to tell you this right now. If you there's a documentary on Fire Festival right now on Hulu and a documentary on Netflix uh, I, here's the basics of what happened. I've seen the Netflix one. I have, I'm in the middle of the Hulu one. And you'd think, oh my gosh, Buck, why would you watch two documentaries about the same thing? But they're actually covering different aspects of the story. Uh, and, and the Hulu one actually has the main guy, the, the bad guy, the, uh, the evildoer in a sense. Uh, he gives an interview to them, whereas in the first one, there's no interview on Netflix. But the, the basics are that this charlatan i mean this fraud this guy is just an outright fraud the fact that people couldn't see it i could sit down with this guy and have a two-minute conversation with you and tell you this guy's full of it but uh, his name is billy mcfarlane and he's serving a six-year sentence in federal prison right now by the way and he uh had run a couple of kind of you know social media influencer almost pump and dump type scams before he began this app that was supposed to allow for booking talent like you book Uber. So, oh, you want to have Jay-Z come to your birthday party? Um, this is, you know, all you have to do is get this app and have all the money. It probably costs you a million bucks. Uh, but, you know, Jay-Z will come to your birthday party, right? That's That was the basics of it. But to launch this thing, he created this ad campaign with with true supermodels i mean world-class top tier in terms of their pay scale supermodels and they went to this deserted beautiful island and they frolic around in the beach and they just do this brilliant it was brilliant social media campaign for this music festival called fire f-y-r-e and then the documentary is just about how there was no reason to believe that they could pull this off it would be like Having some of you probably, you know, Woodstock for sure. You may know what Coachella is, too. I've never been. I just know it's a big kind of fancy hipster music scene, uh, music festival. But imagine doing uh, the equivalent today of Woodstock on a tiny island in the Bahamas with no running water, no infrastructure, uh, just a basic landing strip for the for an airport 
and you're going to fit 6,000 people on an island that is like the size of a couple of football fields put together. I mean, it's just, it was insane. It was insane. Uh, But the way that people get conned, I mean, I think it's really important. I also read this book, The Billion Dollar Whale, recently, which is another guy who used celebrity and salesmanship to engage in a multi-billion dollar fraud. I still hasn't seen any justice, by the way. He's he's hiding out in China. Um, But it's important to see how people scam people. And it's important to see also that sometimes the people that get scammed, including some of the promoters and other people involved in this, are smart people or good people. You know, oftentimes what allows you to get scammed like this fire festival guy did to these people is your belief that other people are going to operate the way that you operate, right? That that other people want to be ethical and keep their promises and are decent, and you give them the benefit of the doubt when they're trying to create something that's really you know, successful or meaningful or whatever it may be. So, I mean, it's a real cautionary tale, but also just imagine you're a guy who is throwing a $35 million one, or I guess it was a couple of days, but a $35 million party with 6,000 attendees and the day before they're scheduled to arrive, I mean, I don't want to give away too much, but let's just say they have almost, oh, they, they have some tents on some concrete in on an island next to a sandals resort. I mean, it's just crazy. Brandon, what would you give it out of 10? I, I gave it an 8.5. I, as far as a documentary go, yeah, I can say that. But it just made me feel really uncomfortable Yeah, as a documentary, it's it. not like the most entertaining movie I've ever seen. But for a documentary, I thought it was pretty good. No, it was good. I just feel I can't. I just left feeling so bad for the people on the island, the ones who really. Uh, yeah, got, that, got that's I, I agree. Jammed. The woman who had to pay fifty thousand dollars out of her own pocket to pay her work. She's a restaurant worker because everybody else is young and has all this money, and I don't really feel that bad for them. But I felt bad for for her and the, and the yeah, natives. There was a lot of that. There's a lot of Schadenfreude at the dumb millennials that came out of this too. But anyway, everybody, I recommend if you have Netflix or Hulu, watch either or both of these fire festival documentaries. They are fantastic. Roll call is up next. Hey, Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. A lot of people upset about the BuzzFeed situation still. A lot, a lot of things to get to here on the Roll Call. Let's, uh, let's get to it, Kirk. Writes first up, the left's fake news has gone too far. There needs to be a law. If anyone's spreading fake news, they will be fined or jailed or both and can never do that kind of work ever again. Fake news needs to be silenced. It's not freedom of speech. It's provoking others to do harm. I enjoy your show, Buck. I listen every day. Kirk. Well, Kirk, you have fantastic taste in radio shows. I do not think that you necessarily have spot on First Amendment jurisprudence, however. Uh, think about the possibility for abuse if we were to open up charges of fake news to any kind of sanctions by the state. You mentioned being fined or jailed. Uh, there are some legal remedies for what we would consider the spreading of fake news, but they are they are from the individuals affected by them. Uh, notably, if it's spoken, it's slander. If it's written, it's libel. 
And there's also the broader charge of defamation of character. Um, and, and this goes to a jury. And these are civil, not criminal offenses, but it can go to a jury and the uh, payouts can be very high. So so there is some check on this, but the check on a news organization just lying unless there are specific damages against an individual is that we do not uh, listen to and, and do not uh, support give our dollars to or our eyeballs or ears to that media outlet. This is why when I tell you things like, uh, please do support the sponsors on this show, that's the way you vote for what kind of media you want there to be out there. You know, every time you buy some Black Rifle, every time you type in uh, my URL for ZipRecruiter, you're voting for this show to stay on the air. And yeah, if you buy something, it you know, you get a product, it costs a little money, but you can just go to the URL and show that sponsor that we are helping uh create broader awareness of their products you know the same thing is true unfortunately whenever you turn on msnbc or cnn or if you're a i must admit i'm a new york times subscriber even though i think the new york times does a lot of really uh, harmful and dishonest reporting i feel like i have to be aware of what the flagship paper of the of the enemy is putting out there every day so i do spend a fair amount of time uh, rooting around in the the left's internet ecosystem, including the Times, the Washington Post, you know, Huff Post, Slate, you know, you name it. I mean, all, all these different sites out there. Um, I, I have saved a lot of them. I always find actually the Daily Mail is a surprisingly fun read. ABC, NBC, CBS—they're all pretty much the same. But uh, yeah, that's that's what I would say about those topics, David. Right. Buck Shields High podcast listener here. You said on Monday the media is so Trump obsessed they don't bother to fact check. I disagree. I think they are so far gone. They are reporting things they know are false because pushing the false narratives of the left is their secret job description. What's going on today is far worse than willful ignorance. Uh, David, I think what you are saying, I, I think we're both correct. I would offer to you that you're right and I'm right. Meaning that I, I believe that there is, because of the ideological fervor of the left to try to destroy Trump via the media, there is a, a lack of the due diligence that you would usually expect from the press, or at least that the press pretends that they engage in. Um, and, and it is sometimes just that. And I think there are times where they realize what they're saying is most probably going to turn out to be fake. And then it is not fake. Um, or sorry, then then it is fake, rather. <laughs> then, then it is miraculously true. No, that they know that it's probably not true and, and they run with it anyway. Uh, I think that it's tough for them to run things that are they know um, they know to be untrue to a degree where they would be. Uh, it, it, see, the, the press, the press has to protect some degree of factual accuracy or else they lose their power. It's not because they have some ethical objection to lying. It's that the narrative is built because of the editorial decisions, the language used, what stories they cover, how they cover them, how they describe things, what words they use. That's how the left wing narrative is solidified through the media. And oh, and, and the selective presentation of facts but if they get observable, demonstrable facts wrong, that they do take a hit 
and they do take a hit. Now, I'm not saying that means they don't do it. I'm just saying they have to be aware of that, right? It's, it is not in, here's a shorter way of, of saying what I'm trying to here. It's not in the New York Times interest to say that there are 57 states, you know? So that just makes them look bad. There are plenty of instances, plenty of things that we can look at where it is clear that it's not the facts that are the problem. It is so it is the uh, presentation of analysis as objective news. That's the problem. All right. As you can see, I find this topic fascinating. But other people like Buck move on to the roll call. Uh, Nathan writes, nice shout out from Bill O'Reilly. Social media assaults. By Bill O'Reilly. This is from BillOReilly.com, everybody. Here's what Bill O'Reilly wrote about yours truly today. There's a good column on TheHill.com by Buck Sexton entitled, It's Only a Matter of Time Before the Social Media Mob Comes for You. It basically says Americans have few protections from smears. You can be accused by a liar using a device and lose your job, reputation, and friends. No one is immune from this. Unless you're a millionaire, suing for defamation defamation is useless because of the great cost. That's completely true, by the way. It takes years to wind through the courts, which generally could not care less about these cases. Then if the person defaming you loses, even if you win, they have so few assets you can't collect. We are living in a dangerous time where hateful people have more power than ever before. The legal system is corrupt in many areas, so we basically have no way to protect our reputations from social media assaults. High tech has destroyed due process and the reputations of millions of innocent people. There's no solution to this. Uh, that's all on BillOReilly.com. But he starts it off talking about my column, which I hope you all have read on TheHill.com. It's only a matter of time before the social media mob comes for you. Uh, that's it, It's gone viral. Um, it's gotten retweets and likes and things from uh, you know Bill O'Reilly and Megyn Kelly and lots of different folks out there. So uh, I would I would recommend that you uh, recommend that you check it out. You know, I, I always have to say this, Megan, whatever. Some, I know some of you are probably Megan fans still and some of you very much are not. Uh, but I always appreciated that she used to have me on very early in my career and really put me on for substantive segments on Fox News in prime time and was the first person to ever do so. And for while she was at Fox, the most consistent person to do so. Now it's Tucker, which is great because Tuck and Buck were like it's like a buddy comedy. But it was Megyn Kelly, and so uh, I I am always thankful and appreciative of that. Uh, Kim writes, Buck, tell all those having trouble with the iHeart app to try the Stitcher app. I've always used Stitcher for your podcast and haven't had any problems well uh i i think that that sounds like a, a great idea um let's uh that sounds good to me um try uh, try stitcher if you if you're having problems with the iheart app go for stitcher for sure jonathan writes tucker gla- uh, glazed tucker gazed on your beard with jealousy i'm glad your border reporting is getting traction shields hi uh, Jonathan, you know, first of all, your beard is awesome. My, I got a baby beard right now. Guys, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to make it to full beardum. I'm trying. I'm trying. I know. Don't get mad at me. I'm trying to push through for at least another week, maybe two, to see if I can actually make a go of this. But I just, right now, it kind of looks like a bad goatee. You know, it's it's just building around the chin area and not enough on the jawline. And uh, I don't know if I need to take some you know, some testosterone shots or something here. I don't know what to do because it's just not coming in uh, fully on the jawline. You know, a lot, look, I got a lot of hair on my head. And I, don't, I don't know if God gave me a full, 
the full spectrum of, of facial hair along with the swoop because the swoop really does. I mean, I, you know, I'm I'm follicularly blessed up top. I don't think I'm facially follicularly blessed. I don't even know if these. I don't even know if that's a word, but it, you know what I'm talking about. Any of you who have uh, beard tips, by all means, share them with me. Uh, we'll see if I can make it through. I also, I don't know. It, it, all it's going to take is one person that I respect to be like, your beard looks bad when I'm on TV. And I have to be like, all right, fine. Um, but I did. I will tell you, I did. I got to the gym three days in a row last week. And uh, and I'm going to get three to four times a week for the next month. And I'm going to build from there. The first workouts are the hardest. Everything hurts. I'm like, my back hurts. My knees hurt. My shoulder hurts. Uh, but now I'm actually feeling a little bit of a t- tiny, tiny tinge of muscle fiber coming back. And I'm like, oh, this is probably a good thing. I should probably keep this going. Many of you know, many of you know what I'm talking about. Come on. Uh, Maria writes, Buck, I was wondering if you knew of any issues with your podcast on Stitcher. I've not been able to play it for several weeks. Love the show. You give us a voice to continue when Rush can no longer do it. First of all, Mario, thank you for even mentioning me in the same sentence as Rush. That is very high praise. And I, I think we are fine on Stitcher. Brandon, that should be good, right? I don't, I'm don't. i not aware of good. any problem on Stitch. St- yeah, Stitcher. Right? Yeah, um, Stitcher should be fine. Yeah. Or Spreaker. Yeah. You guys are on Spreaker. Mm. Okay. Well, we will have to see. Uh, we will close up shop for tonight in the hut with that. And uh, thank you so much, team, for joining, as always. Do uh, subscribe to the podcast on either iTunes or Stitcher or the iHeart app. That way you can listen anytime in case you miss the live broadcast on radio stations across the country. With that, my friends, until next time, Shields High. Maybe you've heard of the AARP, right? It's pretty well known, but uh, what's not as well known is that the AARP scripted portions of White House speeches behind closed doors to ensure the passage of Obamacare. They also stood against tax cuts for the middle class and for small business owners in the past. So forget that. Why don't you join an organization that gives you all the upside of the AARP, but none of the downside? That's AMAC. A-M-A-C. Why AMAC? Well, you see... AMAC is all about advocating for conservative policies and a conservative view of America. It's get It also gets value for its members, including discounts on car insurance, hotels, roadside assistance, dental plans, many, many benefits to make your life easier and save you money. So stand with AMAC, the conservative alternative to AARP, as they fight the good fight. Join right now at amac.us slash buck. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S slash buck. AMAC is better for you, better for America.